0: Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have Nigel Harvey of Rico Light over in the UK. Oh, yeah, he's a bad boy. Ooh, he's been arrested a couple times. Ooh, yeah, our first bad boy on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, Greg.
1: We've had a few, but, you know. Well, he's not in compliance. <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> this episode of the show is brought to you by our friends... Our friends over at Satco, you got to go to satco.com com at Satco.com. Greg, they do the light thing. They do the right thing. End of story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of fits in with the theme today of Nigel, what he's, he's accomplishing over there and what he's going after. But you know what the best thing about Satco is, Mike, and you actually just said it right before we started talking. What's that? They have everything.
0: They have everything.
1: <laughs> they have everything. So, I mean, do you, we we try we try to highlight products and it's like well what do you want to highlight everything oh okay it'll take a little while if you need a light bulb if you need a light fixture if you need a light part a component whatever the hell you need for lighting that <laughs> goes God I tell you a little
0: anecdote and I'll t- this guy's been in non compliance for years and that's Alan Karen I was searching <laughs> for a light bulb you're not you're not compliant Alan Karen <laughs> 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 but uh, I I was searching for a light bulb. And uh and you know, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking looking, 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 looking and all of a sudden I go, you know what? Sacco's got it. Email on Karen, yeah, got it in Texas. I'll get it up to you in a couple of weeks. See? You gotta go to SATCO dot com, man. They do the light thing, they do the right thing. Long time supporters of nailed. I mean, Long, long time supporters of Nailed. Every Nailed convention I've ever been at, I think I saw Alan Karen there and the peeps from Satco. Mm -hmm. So you got to go to satco.com, check out Nailed. It's time to join. Get in here. Let's get it going. Forget about all the nonsense. time to join Nailed. But for right now, we got the non-compliant master of the universe, (laughs) Nigel Harvey of Light on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, Nigel Harvey.
2: Thank you. Very pleased to be here.
0: Say hi to Greg Garrick.
2: Hi, Greg.
1: Hi, Nigel. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much.
0: We have a lot to talk about because there's a lot of different issues. Um, But I want to start off with a question. Were you in Toronto in 2009?
2: I wasn't, no. Sorry, that might be a different Nigel Harvey.
0: No, no. There was was actually a, a WE conference in Toronto in 2009. Um, it How was, that, yeah, there was a, it was in Toronto and they had a special, um, section on lamp recycling and, um, it was run by the fellow's name is Roger Burris. I don't know if you know that guy out of Switzerland. He runs a lot like an international association of, um, recycling batteries and electronics. And, and so he, they put on the event and I went to that event and as a Canadian and an American, we get a little bit sick of Europeans talking down to us all the time. It happens a lot yeah. at international conferences actually. And, but you know, sometimes they're making relevant points. And one of the things that they said was that Ontario had the worst lamp recycling rates of any jurisdiction in, in the Western world. Okay. And so I became very passionate about lamp recycling. So before we we
2: start on that, I want to ask you a little bit about Ricoh Light and what you're doing there. Sure. Yes. I mean, I'd actually just joined RikaLite as chief executive in two thousand and nine. So had I been there, I would have been very green about the gills, actually. But um, Light is a not-for-profit company set up by um, four of the largest names in the lighting industry to provide a compliance service. But we've got over one hundred and eighty companies that are members of our of our scheme now, and they all pay us a small amount per lamp placed on the market or per fitting placed on the market. And we use that to finance a recycling service and a collection service that's free of charge to the end user, in essence.
1: So who, who are the four companies that are, are part of that, that fund it?
2: So those companies are now Signify, Vance, Tongsram, and Philo Sylvania. Uh, do you, do you, um, there's a, a term, a, an
0: acronym often, uh, used in these programs, extended producer responsibility. Um, is that so that, that program where manufacturers pay a fee, um, to then offer collection services. I find those programs very limited in their effectiveness. Um, how, what rates of lamp recycling are you guys now able to achieve in the UK?
2: It varies from year to year, but we're up to around about 50%, yeah, that's which is seem, not
0: bad. They seem to cap out bad. at that point, though. They seem to like stop at that 50% mark and they can't go past them.
2: It's, it's a really tough one. And I think lamps are particularly unusual because they're fragile. If you're a contractor and you can't be bothered to do the right thing, it's quite easy to put them at the bottom of a skip, throw a few bricks on and they've just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you can get higher than, than than 50%, but it is tough. But compare that before we started when, when lamp recycling rates were sort of at around 20% or thereabouts. Mm. thereabouts. We've done pretty well. I, mean, I would agree that every system has its shortcomings and it's failing. And is extended producer responsibility perfect? No. But it's uh, one of the best ways of at least finding a a group of organizations that that have to take responsibility for paying for something that in truth, nobody wants to pay for, nobody <laughs> wants to pay for the recycling of waste, sure. you know. Sure. So, so let's at least find, um, uh, you know, a group that, that do take on that responsibility and the producers seems to be a, a, a sensible place to put it.
1: I just need to confirm on my end a little. So your company will go in and anybody that needs to recycle lighting can do it? through you at no cost? Is that what I heard or how does it exactly work?
2: In, in in essence, that's correct. So for lamps, we will provide a free of charge collection recycling service subject to a minimum quantity. We're not gonna go uh, you know, and, and send send a vehicle to collect a single lamp, but subject to minimum quantities, we'll provide a nationwide free service indeed.
1: So <coughs> does anybody pay for recycling at all in, in the UK then? If, oh if, yes, because we're,
2: we're, yeah. Yeah, we're we're not the only only game in town, and there are other organisations that provide a recycling service, and some of them some of them charge for it. Uh, and uh, we've we've spent more than a dozen years trying to uh, get the message of our free recycling service out there. But amazingly, there are still some companies that that get charged for it.
1: Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, why would why would anybody pay for it if if you're offering it for free?
2: It, well, sometimes it's, it's convenience. Maybe they they've only got a small number, and we won't we won't collect a very small number. Maybe they are they are dealing with another with a waste management company that's doing a lot of different things for them, including lamps. And actually, they just carry on paying for the lamps because they're also paying for the paper and the and the cardboard and the metals all to be taken by the same organisation. So there are some valid reasons why people might go for a a charged service.
1: And if if you did have a hundred percent, right now you're at fifty percent. If you had a hundred percent, do you have the funding capable to take all of that on, or would you then increase your fee to these companies that pay for it?
2: At the moment, we have reasonable reserves to be able to cope with a significant increase in the level yes. of recycling. But ultimately, yes, if if it were to go up very high and stay high, we might have some challenges. But we we, we can cope with the with the short in the short term, and the short term means one or two years at least.
1: Got it. And one last thing I have on that is, is so this is in the UK. Is it in other parts of Europe? And why is it not in the US? Or do you have any background on that? Canada? Yeah, there's
2: a WE directive which affects every one of the 27 EU member states plus the UK, as you probably know, in fact, it's no longer a member state, but we at least have the WE regulations in place in the UK that at the moment completely mirror the requirements of the WE directive that has been implemented in, in the other 27. So I'm one of the companies that in Ontario charges
0: for lamp recycling, and we're often up against free people that offer it for free, and we destroy them. And the, uh, one of the things that like, if I, um, I actually think it's time to move past extended producer responsibility, and I think it's time to implement programs of extended user responsibility or deposit based systems that embed value into end of life products like batteries and lamps, um, to get past the 50%. Like I'm not against it. I don't think it's extended producer responsibility is wrong. I think it's a great place to start. You know, where it's like, okay, who makes these things, right? The problem that with the producer responsibility that I see is that it seems to punish the best, the biggest and best companies and little companies get away with it. And we'll talk more about marketplaces in a minute. I read your article. I think that's a fabulous article, by the way. And, but I think that we've, even though maybe you have extra capacity in that. I hold a U.S. patent on a a box that I created that is designed for lamp recycling, for recycling three and four foot tubes. I've sold thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Um, It's a storage container that goes in the corner of a maintenance room where people can put the old lamps in. Um, And if I I, you know, and I disagree with the premise that people don't want to recycle lamps. I think people do want to recycle lamps once they find out that, you know, the mercury in lamps is actually a toxin. And if you educate your customers about it, you'll find. And I know Greg provides lamp recycling services, but he's not as big into it as me. Um, if I if I sold as many new lamps as I recycle, I would be by far the largest lighting company in Canada. Maybe Philips would be bigger. So I recycle a lot of light bulbs, and I know that people want to do this. The problem that they have, um, Nigel, is that when the uh, the it needs to be people when people have garbage, they want to get rid of it. And so I think the key, the second phase of getting, you know, if we're gonna solve our environmental issues, one of the most pertinent ones is hazardous waste. Um, I think we need to provide easier outlets and options for people. And I think it's now time to trickle that down from producers to distributors and say that distributors, if you wanna sell fluorescent lamps, you have to take back fluorescent lamps and consolidate them and store them safely and ship them to a lamp recycling facility. I think it's time for to go past the producers and then to the distributors. Because we know where the lamps are. Like I know who has thousands of used lamps. Okay. And I know that the, the facility managers want to recycle. They want to do it. They have the budgets to do it. The problem is a lot of the programs that exist... They're limited in their capacity because it's only one program or one company, or they can't serve the company in the way that they need to be served. So you may say, I don't understand why anyone would do it. I totally understand. Because I do it for people every day all the time and we do it by doing it fast and we do it in a way that a distributor does it as a business and providing a service rather than serving the nation. You understand? We're serving the customer and so we're focused on their needs. I think it's time to go from producers to distributors and then to end users, maybe in the form of a deposit.
2: How do you feel about that from your perspective and from... I, I agree with a lot of what you've uh, what you've said. Uh, just on the point of people don't want to recycle. And I, I know I agree. People do want to, but it's a grudge purchase. I mm. guess what I should have said is people don't want to pay to recycle. Okay? okay. I think most people want to do the right thing, and if you make it easy for them, they will do so. That's that's thankfully uh, human mm. nature. As regards moving from producer responsibility to, to distributor responsibility, actually, I think you can do both. And that, that's what we do—that the We Directive requires—and increasingly is happening in the in the UK—is that producers have to pay, but distributors have a duty to take back waste free of charge. At the moment in the UK, that is on a one-for-one basis. You sell me a new one; I—that that means I have the right to give you a waste one back that will probably move on to being on a on a um, one for naught basis that you you a distributor will have to accept waste even if i don't buy anything from them there's quite a possibility there so i think i think getting a distributors as a providing a take back service whilst at the same time the producers finance it perhaps gives you the best of both worlds because that's let's not forget distributors aren't the only way in which and uh, in, in which recycling takes place. There are a lot of arrangements directly between end users and other organizations. Mm-hmm, sure. And so we need to have, a, in the same way that sales are multi-channel, you need multi-channel mm, I take agree. back. And so this, this this show is for distributors. So we're discussing this section mm-hmm. of it, right? So
0: I, I do agree with yeah, you on that. There's, there's other areas, right? Um, excuse me. <clears throat> but the nail distributors are going, "Hey, what's Culligan talking about? I got to take back used lamps like they're all they might be listening to this show." But here's what I here's where I think here's where I think we kind of we we split. I actually believe in bringing the purple rain. And I I don't think that the idea of I don't like words like compliance. I think that I know that you're big into that and I respect it from a from the position that you're coming from, but from my position it's like how do we make money doing this? Forget about forcing people forget about um you know you're not you're going to get resistance i don't like resistance i like persuasion i like convincing and i think that you know c- considering the politics of the world i mean even uh, everyone wants to talk about trump and biden but you guys had your own corbin boris johnson thing that was very similar actually and that the, they actually kind of look alike to be honest with you um but uh you know i i think that we could we could engage as an industry in a In a persuasive effort to say, "Look, forget about you know trying to force this. How do we get it to the point where distributors want to do this, and so that we imbue into it innovation and so we imbue into it a sense of entrepreneurship? Can we go in that direction, or does it have to be compliance based nigel
2: uh, I, I would say again, actually you've got to do both because whilst compliance is the backbone of the approach we take an awful lot is about persuading and when we persuade a distributor you know a, a wholesaler to take on uh, lamp recycling we say look we'll give you the free containers we say look this could this we'll add you onto our website because that means uh, you know, end, end users will know that you can provide a free of charge uh, take back service that may give you more footfall, you know, more customers coming into the, uh, in, 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 into the branch. And so a lot of it is persuasion as well as. You know, tub thumping and saying you need to do this. Once you've persuaded someone to do the to do the right thing, then there are some compliance issues like the paperwork that just has to be right when we're dealing with hazardous waste. You can't get away from the need for a you know the the the, the paperwork that uh, accompanies. Uh, what is your the, what is your metric? What is it, What is the metric
0: that you use on your
2: paperwork for
0: lamps? Is it linear foot? Is uh, it
2: the? It's 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 kilos. And okay. so I think that's the uh, right this, way is to not, go. this is not even yes. our, yeah this is not even our our requirement. this is a requirement from the the environment agency in the UK, which is the um the, the environment protection equivalent in for the uh, for the United Kingdom, and they require everybody who stores or moves hazardous waste to complete hazardous waste consignment notes. And hazardous waste returns, and everybody must report on a quarterly basis that waste that they've stored or moved. I got, I got it. I got news for you, okay?
0: One of the best things that the Ministry of the Environment in Ontario ever did is exempt fluorescent lamps from Regulation 347. So what they did was, in order to create, make it easier for people to store. So before they exempted it, you couldn't store fluorescent lamps, use fluorescent lamps anywhere. It was illegal to store more than a certain amount because it was considered hazardous waste. So I'm not sure the heavy regulation is the best way to go. Although I think you need something to measure and verify. You need some lower level. But I think there's a difference between waste batteries and lamps and say, we have a hazardous waste information network in Ontario that you have to manifest and make notes, as you call, we call manifests here. You have to note different amounts of waste. But when you get into lamps and stuff like that, it starts to make it very tricky for distributors to be involved in that. Would you, con- would you think it's better to consider less regulation rather than more?
2: It's difficult because hazardous waste is hazardous waste, isn't it? No, it's now, not. The time, no, there's would, a difference. Uh, there's a difference in uh, levels.
0: Ontario's, uh, the yeah. only. What, what was most effective in increasing lamp recycling rates was the exemption of fluorescent lamps from Regulation 347, HID lamps from Regulation 347. That caused, allowed all distributors to take them back and ship them to lamp recycling facilities without having to manifest them. It made it a lot easier for
2: everyone to do it. I, I, I don't know. I'd have to think about that a little bit further. Think about it. And <laughs> I, 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 I mean, it's it's certainly not our, within our gift to change that. You know, it's it's the law of the land, and uh, it's it's an absolute we changed requirement. It. We changed
0: it in Ontario. Yeah. We changed it, mm. and uh, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was Viola, uh, Mark Braniff, Greg, the Nailed Member mm-hmm. at Veolia, and myself, and a couple other people went to the uh, Lampers, um, the Ontario Recycling Council, who then lobbied the government, and they made the exemption. And that was, it made it so much easier to get so much lamp recycling done. But, I mean, we're trying to solve the same problem here, Nigel. So, I'm I'm with you. Uh, News for distributors, though, Greg. Yeah. And on what Nigel said, it is an opportunity because... What does somebody with burnt out light bulbs need? <laughs>
1: new light bulbs. <laughs>
0: so distributors, exactly. put a little container, whether you're in the UK, put your Rico light container and tell everybody to bring their old light bulbs to you. Cause and then put out the new light LED light bulbs on your floor and talk to them about buying them. It works amazing, actually. It's a great sales strategy. <sighs> So there,
2: the nail distributors. Yeah. Well, we, we also do things like, like for, for those that are doing particularly well at, at um, distributors are doing particularly well at collecting waste lamps, we give them a certificate. We say the ones that are collecting high tonnages or are, are stacking them very neatly, we will give them certificates to say they're doing, they're, they're, that they are gold collectors, for sure. example, or silver collectors. So, so we, we try to reward those who are doing well and make, make, you know, make that visible.
1: Now, I have a question here. You, you say you manage a Recolite W compliance scheme. A scheme? What, what do you mean by that? Because "scheme" is a different word in my meaning than maybe it is in yours. Is it? <laughs> are you running a scheme or like a, a program?
2: <laughs> you know, what, it's. A, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what the difference between a scheme and a program is. We're a, we're a company and yep. we ha, we operate a producer compliance scheme which is the UK terminology for uh, an organization that takes on the responsibility for, for com- you know, completing the recycling on behalf of its producer members. So it's a company okay. running a scheme. Yeah.
1: Got it. And, and you're, the and, Latin and... schema is what we're talking exactly about. Is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Scott.
2: Um... In
1: terms of being compliant, how do you what what is it like? And well, you have a bunch of studies on LED light bulbs on online and things. I want to talk about that. But what does it take to be compliant? Like, what is a hundred percent compliance? And W is it WEEE? Triple E? Is that how you guys say it? Or W E? Yeah. And,
2: and it, compliance is at, is at several different levels. And so, if it's for producers, that means making sure all of the companies who should be a member of a scheme and are therefore paying their fair share of the recycling costs are. Oh, so 100% compliance means all the producers uh, uh, actually paying their fair share. Um, if, if 100% compliance means are we collecting absolutely every every la- waste lamp that we could, then that means we've still got some work to do, un- undoubtedly. Um, it, it, it depends where, where, where you see compliance as hitting. I got uh uh you want to move to
0: marketplaces now Greg? because I 'm super excited yeah, yeah. about, yep. about what he's doing that. with the marketplaces okay, so uh, I'm happy to see that in the u k there was no free riders from
2: Canada <laughs> 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 we haven't found any yet. So that <laughs> <up there. laughs>
0: but here's what I'm going to tell you. they are free riders from the UK in America and in thing, cause I see them on um, a market. I did some research on it to see back and forth. And there's a company in the UK that's, I don't know if they're free riding or not, but they're selling in from the UK into, into the American market, um, but not next day. So I guess maybe they do have the stock in the UK and there's sh- 21 days for shipping or whatever. Tell us a little bit about, this problem? Because I don't think it's just a we compliance problem. I think it's a larger industry problem that actually needs to be addressed here.
2: I couldn't agree more. This is a huge problem. And, and we've, we've been talking about it for some time, but we first did some research that we finalized in 2018. That And, and we went on to a leading online marketplace. And we, uh, we, we did a search on LED light bulb and we looked at the first 120 records, and one of the beauties of the UK's Wii system is you can you, there's an a, an online published register of all the producers who are actually okay. compliant. So we could just look at the name of the of the producer of the first 120 and say, um, you know, how many of these are actually compliant? And to our horror, we discovered 76 percent mm. of the producers that are in those first 120 were not compliant. When you looked at e- each of the records, they were for often for you know multi packs, five or ten, and with large numbers of English language reviews. So clearly, lots of there were lots of sales represented sure. by those uh, by those seventy six percent of the hundred and twenty. Furthermore, though, when we went and looked at them, um, over eighty percent were based in China and Hong Kong, which you'd sort of expect. And nearly three quarters had stock available for next day delivery in the UK. Mm -hmm. So the typical free rider um, selling through that major online marketplace is a company based in Hong Kong or China but whose stock is already sitting in the UK ready to be delivered to a UK consumer on a next day basis and that's quite frightening. So that was that was clearly a concern. And what, and, and is it at, let me ask you is it fulfilled by Amazon? Uh it might well be. Yeah. Well be like Amazon. come on let's yes. let's be let's Indeed. be honest here. Yeah. Like a lot of this stuff yeah. is
0: fulfilled by Amazon. They're the ones mm. warehousing it and and most mm. third party uh and you know look most third party uh logistics companies will not ship one bulb or two bulb that's an amazon thing they're the guys that do that there's other companies that do it too but they're the major ones that that do it but right. i want to i want to just comment on that that one thing so you're in a situation where it's very a very serious situation where you're punishing compliers and the non compliers are free riding and, and it's very dangerous cuz you're actually damaging the people that are that are complying with the program, the government has to do something about this ASAP or the compliers are no longer going to
2: exist in a a couple years. I I couldn't agree more. I wouldn't say we're punishing the compliers, but the compliers are doing the right thing and paying their fair share of the recycling. The non-compliant are avoiding it and they're avoiding we, but they're probably also avoiding similar extended produce responsibility legislation covering waste batteries and packaging and frankly, if they're doing that for extended police responsibility, they're probably doing the same thing for a number of safety-related issues. And in, and in fact, an organisation that we're, uh, we're a member of, the Lighting Industry Association in the UK, have their own electrical safety test laboratories. Mm-hmm. And they they purchased six um, uh, you know, six lighting products from an online marketplace, put them through their safety labs... Five of them failed, and not just for minor issues. These were safety critical mm-hmm. non-compliances, like access to live parts. They did the same with conventional um, bricks and mortar distributors. And hey presto, of the six, six complied. Mm. Now that is that is really worrying. Certainly, I've seen yeah. adverts in in the UK where you, you you know we we can buy you know 110 volt uh, luminaires. You shouldn't be able to yeah, do that. No way. That's a fire hazard for sure. Absolutely, for sure.
0: yeah. Absolutely. For
2: sure. So the, this is a massive, massive non-compliance issue that's that's related to product safety, to environmental regulations, probably to things like VAT as well. Tax sure, it works. And not only that
0: though, but you know, you're even it you even extends beyond that into like labor conditions of the people who made. Like, there's all manner of regulations that goes back. Uh, we did we st- we looked at um, uh, some products that were uh, that were offered for sale to us. And I'm not going to say the name of the accreditation agency, but it was forged on the, we, we went you can look online the, mm. the, the, numbers for the different, you know, safety accreditation. There's tons of them, CSA, UL, ETL, and all these ones. And you can go and check and they were forged, uh, numbers. They're just like pushed, putting a number on a, on a package. Like this is, this is not a mistake. This is, um, uh, malevolence. Like these people are doing this and bypassing regulations in a way that is planned. It's strategic. And they know they're
2: doing it and they're getting away with it and why would they change i i would agree. i would agree we're talking industrial scale yes. non-compliance yes for sure uh, and the sad truth is that because of the pandemic increasing numbers of businesses and consumers have been turning to online marketplaces mm-hmm. and online sources and actually the problem is getting worse market the market share of online is undoubtedly Grown significantly over the last uh, over the last year or so, and if seventy six percent of the sales of LED bulbs through those online marketplaces are not compliant, then the problem is getting bigger and bigger.
0: Uh, and and I I I, I don't know um, from a, from a perspective. One of the problems we have with social media, for example, or these things, is that our laws are written long before the age of Amazon or eBay or any of these things. And do they actually, like, effectively, are are they able actually to effectively apply to a company that's domiciled in the Cayman Islands or or Hong Kong that has a bank account in the Isle of Man Okay, that's set up in London for immediately to take the money out of England and put it into the Isle of Man and into the Canadian Islands and is renting warehouse space in a deal made in America with Amazon. Like, it's
2: how do you deal with that? I would agree. The the sophistication of corporate structures makes it far harder to really monitor this properly. We've been discussing the problem with the UK government and they have come up with a proposal which we, we really like, which is to say that any online marketplace that facilitates the import into the UK of product has to take responsibility for the compliance of that, for the we compliance of that product. And that means whether it's a fulfillment service or, or, or more of a brokerage service, whatever the route to market is, if it goes via the online marketplaces platform, the platform has to carry the financial can. We like that. I think they should. It still relies on, uh, it still relies on having to gather data from the platform. But luckily, at least in the UK, most of the major platforms have got um, a, 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 a UK entity which can be subject to scrutiny and, uh, and, and legal action if necessary. Let me, let me tell you just
0: to the listeners that may not be as into this and they're listening and that. But, Greg, where do you think uh, is, is Apple an American company?
1: Uh, in my mind, yeah.
0: No, it's is an it Irish com- it's an Irish company, actually. Mm-hmm.
2: Dublin, really? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sorry, man. The head office of Apple is in Dublin, Ireland. Like, how ridiculous is that? (laughs) Like, like things like this are so ridiculous. Like, it's it's unimaginable that Apple doesn't pay taxes to the American government. Like, it's that's so insane. Like, that's Mm -hmm. it's like it's be the, the the this global and you wonder why people are suspicious of globalization. Like, like come on. You know, and I, 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 am not again, I'm not an anti-globalization guy. And we're going to talk about that too. Cause I, I like your, uh, <laughs> we got, uh, <laughs> this is, it's almost funny to talk to you and, and, and it's common uh, folks, but let's get through this yeah, market. We're going to have
2: to have a beer together sometime, what, sometime.
0: <laughs> so, uh, tell me what, what do you think? Like we've talked about the problem. It's, it's ridiculously bad. Okay. It's unbelievably bad and it's bad for the good people, the decent people in the industry.
2: How do we solve it? I think I think we have to solve it by making the intermediaries responsible. The intermediary that deals with the purchaser has got to carry the can for compliance. Because if not, you just cannot take a company that is based in Shenzhen to court. You cannot do anything. Mm-hmm. So if they are, if the 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 you know the the the, the jurisdiction cannot take um, cannot take action. Then we have to find an organisation that's going to be responsible. And in the case of online marketplaces, it has to be the marketplace. See here, and there's, here, a, there's how, a lot of work monitor? being done on this now. Yeah, well, that, how do you it monitor it? You, you you monitor it because actually they they have data. And if the law requires you to be able to access that data, then then pulling down information as to what pieces, what what num what what weight of product they have sold into a relevant mar- national market is fairly fairly accessible in that case. And if you make their directors responsible under law, for signing an accurate declaration of what has been sold through their marketplace, if they get it wrong, they are personally responsible. So you've got, to, you've got to have corporate responsibility and also the personal responsibility of the directors of the company. So
0: I think there's, I think, you know, you have the UK, I, I think it would have been better and I'm not gonna get into Brexit or non-Brexit cause I'm Canadian, but I think this would have been better handled in Brussels. Um, I think it would have been easier for it to be handled as a UK issue or EU issue, maybe not, sorry, EU. Yeah. Issue. Um, unfortunately you guys got to do it on your own, but I I think that, or fortunately, I don't know if it's fortunately, or maybe it's better to do it on the UK wide. Maybe it is, but, um, I think bigger groups are is can be easier, but I think the marketplace issue, um, if nail distributors listening to this, like you're competing with people that are totally breaking the law. Completely one hundred percent breaking the law on every in every aspect that matters safety environmental compliance um, uh, all sorts of trade agreements across the board these these marketplace we need laws to address and the other thing is you're also competing with a marketplace that gathers that gets to gather your information about your sales and decide whether they want to sell your products at a lower price if they notice that. They have a skew. You have a skew that moves a lot um, on eBay or Amazon or wherever or walmart.ca or .com, and they notice that that skew moves fast, they could say, oh, that's a bo- we have an account with Philips. Go buy a skid of those and, and just beat that guy's price by a penny every time he lowers it. Um, I think we need uh, broader yeah. laws for marketplaces. Like across, We need to look at this issue across the board.
2: I, I would agree. I mean, to your first point that uh, – the, the, you know d- dealing with these on a transnational basis i couldn't agree more I think it is best it is best to tackle these at an at an eu wide level and you know in, international level because uh, the the systems set up are so sophisticated by online marketplaces you can't deal with it in any in any one um, operation at the moment interestingly the uh, different european Member states are actually taking different approaches to tackling the online marketplace problem, and actually that's that's no bad thing, because actually each online the the, the online marketplace then has to face different requirements in the UK, in mm-hmm. France, in Germany, etc. So actually, um, you know, given they've had such an easy free ride for so many years. To actually, that for them then to have to face <laughs> different requirements in each territory, I don't mind. I don't yeah. mind. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's fun. It's it's too
0: bad because we we do want we do want to have a competitive marketplace. We do want to lower prices for consumers when we can, but we also have to create a fair playing field for the people that are in the game, and we also have to make sure that we're we're ethically on sound in our practices and compliance is part of ethics. Um, So, moving from the marketplaces, which we could probably do a whole show on, but we're already 35 minutes here. Um, You've been arrested. Indeed. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) So, um, you look like the last guy I would ever... (laughs) Like if somebody said, there's some British guy with a fancy UK accent, and uh, he's being dragged away from a protest by by the Bobbies with no guns. They only have those little clubs by there. He's protesting... Why, you know, why the, and I'm going to say something, don't take it the wrong way. Why the rabble rousing side of you? Where does that come from? Where does it come from? Like, I got to go to the streets. How did you get to the point where you said, you know what, enough's enough. I'm willing to sacrifice my reputation, my freedom. Come on here. Like, you know, seriously, Mm
2: -hmm. why, how did you get to that point? I've spent the last more than a decade doing my level best to try to reduce my own carbon footprint. Uh, I've tried to encourage others to reduce their carbon footprint. And you know what's happened over the last decade? Not just the carbon emissions have gone up, but the rate at which they've gone up has, has increased as well. And unfortunately, all the letters to MPs, all the signing of petitions, all the trying to do the right thing has had no impact on reducing the carbon uh, carbon emissions and carbon levels keep on going up year in year out month in month out month out uh, globally and unfortunately we're at we're at a stage where as you, you guys know David Attenborough um uh, a, a, a naturalist um, he he put it in a way that uh, that. I could is far better than I ever could and he said last year if we haven't taken dramatic action within the next decade we face irreversible destruction of the natural world and the collapse of our societies the collapse of our societies comes from the increasing level of flooding that we're seeing the increasing level of flamin- famines as um, as crops will will start to fail the, U- the UK's wheat harvest this year was down 40 percent uh you know I- increasing levels of, of of sea level rise larger and more catastrophic uh, climatic events like storms and hurricanes etc and so all 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 of the work that I, i've tried over the last uh, and many others like me probably you guys as well has had diddly-squat impact on changing the way um, the, the politicians operate in, 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 in trying to control emissions. And so when I heard last year a, um, a, a, a presentation from someone in Extinction Rebellion, an organisation that's committed to trying to reduce um, the impact of the um, of, of carbon emissions and the climate, it just gelled entirely with me. And they said... If you look at the, the civil rights movement in, in the U.S., you had Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks who were prepared to go self-sacrificially and be arrested doing things that, that, that they'd been told were illegal, very very non-violent, you know, mar- marching, through, marching through streets. Um, they were prepared to be arrested and it made a difference. You look at the, um, uh, the Indian independence movement uh, Gandhi you know completely peaceful but civil dis- approach civil disobedience willing to be arrested and it started to have an impact and that 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 gelled with me entirely and so you're right I don't look like the sort of person that would break the law and I'm not the type of person that that would break the law but there is to me no other avenue open at the moment and so i was willing to so non-compliance, is the, way. Way. non-compliance is the only way non-compliance is the only way as martin luther king put it complying with a law that is wrong is 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 itself morally wrong okay uh, and
0: i'm pushing uh, back on you now i'm pushing yeah, back please on do you. please do okay uh, so White people uh, discriminating against black people, or colonialism uh, in India, are very obvious, simple things. Okay, I hate I hate to point it out to people, but you know, um, constructing Jim Crow laws or any kind of laws that are based on the way that people look uh, are very simple to to dismantle. Now, the cultural change can take longer, but you're not talking about a, a complex problem. The, the issue I see, um, with, uh, with, um, the movement, I I don't know if that's the right word, but the environmentalist movement or people that, um, you know, and I, and I'm not suggesting that, uh, you know, um, that, you know, anybody's acting on anything that unethical, but we we are all Lady Macbeth, my friend. Okay. Mm. All right. It's all Lady Macbeth walking around, sleepwalking. These people are sleepwalking. Okay. Greg and I have been in the trenches for 20 years, reducing, mitigating, selling people energy efficient lighting systems. Okay. I've recycled millions of light bulbs. Okay. Millions and millions of light bulbs. And when I hear people speak and, and, and you have worked, a l- you know, your life in the, at this, okay. I've, you know, obviously, but when I, when I hear the, the broader environmentalist speaking, There, there, there's no sense of, of solution-based thinking here. There's an anti-human bent to a lot of it. Right. And so, uh, other civilizations have collapsed in the past. And if, if you follow Jared Diamond, I don't know if you know that guy, Jared Diamond, he's written a lot of books on one of his books, books is called collapse. And it's the reason why societies collapse, environmental degradation, soil erosion, um, Overpopulation, polluting water supplies—like there's like seven reasons why like any society has ever collapsed, and they're just common to them. And usually, they have a little bit of everything. Um, If our society collapses, it collapses, and it will collapse under the weight of its own contradictions, like other societies and other things. But we are certainly not going to get out of this without clean electricity. So the number one priority of the world if anybody actually believes is not mitigation it's not mitigation it's not saving energy is that's great but those are just mitigations you can't mitigate your way out of a problem and that's what we've been trying to do and that's what we've been pressuring people to do you know we're you know how we're going to solve our waste problem in Ontario what's that we're going to pick up the waste less that's not a solution OK, that just creates pollution and allows all kinds of animals to come into the city because there's all garbage everywhere. Like there's a massive skunk problem in Stouffville and it's because they don't pick up the garbage enough. Simple problem. So these mitigations got to go out the window. And like you guys are trying to build that nuclear power plant in Britain for the last 10 years. You can't get it done um, there. What we need is the scientific community to stop developing Facebook, stop taking all the smart people in the world and putting them in San Francisco to make video games and make so addictive social
2: media apps, and focus on clean electricity now. You agree with that? I, I, I agree entirely. The fundamental move we have to make is to decarbonize our, our, our economies, and that means using less and less fossil fuels, because it's the burning of fossil fuels, petrol, diesel, coal, which, which creates the carbon emissions that is warming the planet. And uh, by moving to uh, green sources uh, like wind, like solar, that will be our saving. Now, obviously, yes, you're reducing the amount of energy we use as well is, is important, but fundamentally, we have to get away from burning, um, burning fossil fuels. We have to leave them in the ground. And, and uh, if we don't, you know, you're right, there have been reasons why societies have collapsed in the past. The difference is that this is global society collapse, because if, if temperatures move from three to four degrees, which is sort of on the cards at the moment, that will have huge huge consequences for um for 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 the remaining human population but i got news for
0: you i I got news for you yeah nobody can predict the future so i'm going to push back on that too because the scientists have sabotaged their own credibility and ridiculously so in the last six months like it's like people that talk about science and experts that talk about science they have lost the ear of the ontario people and and i mean people have shut them out now with this covid19 stuff I mean, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. This doesn't work. That doesn't work. They've put themselves in a position now at the worst possible time where their credibility is the lowest. And I'm not blaming that on Trump or on on Boris Johnson or Emmanuel Macron or any of these politicians. I'm blaming it on the scientists for not having. And they've had a consistent message on climate change. I'll hand them that with that panel. But they've done a lot to damage their reputations in the last six months. I'm going to give them a simple message, Nigel. I'm going to give them a simple message. Wind and solar is not the answer. You need something, some sort of technology that can be deployed on the grid scale. Wind and solar are very difficult to deploy on the grid scale. Okay? So what you're going to do, if you're going to say that everyone has to have wind and solar, the rich people are going to get wind and solar or whatever they're going to do. And then other people, the collapse of the electrical infrastructure will happen because there's not enough payers into it. You need grid scale clean energy if you want to do what you're talking about. Clean electricity. That's the only answer to this issue. It's not com- more complicated than that. You need clean electricity. End of the story. And what are you going to do about China?
2: Can't stop them. Well, well, what what is pleasing is that China have actually, um, Xi Jinping announced, what, two weeks ago, that they were setting a target of being uh, uh, net zero by 2060. Now, t- I think 2060 is too late but for the world's biggest emitter to say that the one the one thing you'll say about china is that actually when they decide to do something they do it and that's one of the one of the perhaps few benefits of the way they're structured is that you know very authoritarian top down they've said they're going to do it i think they i think they will do it I don't um, permit unleashing. positive
0: talk about the Chinese Communist Party on my show because what's going on with the Uyghurs... <laughs> no, I don't do it. What's going on with the Uyghurs right now? Like, yeah. people? Okay. Like, I could uh, almost I, cry. I, feel, yeah. I could almost cry. I mean, that's... What's going on in... The, in in, in, in Shen, What is it? Xinjiang? Xinjiang? Is that what it's called? That is a humanitarian disaster, par none, since the Second World War. And um, if people are protesting in America about their freedoms, they should be protesting about what's going on in China because that is a colossal human rights disaster that they have
2: there. And I don't
0: care how fast I, I they get anything agree. wrong.
2: No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think their human rights record is absolutely appalling. Um, all I'm saying is uh, when you asked me, what are we going to yeah. do about China as regards carbon emissions? I made the point that actually they have just made the commitment that they are going to reduce. And so I think they will reduce. Um uh, and, and if and if and if they make a move, and if we get um, if 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 the US stays with the Paris Agreement, we could yet start to see a real change globally. But it needs uh, a reversal of the removal of the uh, of the US from the Paris Agreement, uh, and other nations really starting to uh, to take responsibility. Because the problem is. Um, we, you know, in, in, in the UK, at least, but, you know we're stuck in a five year cycle. And so every, every politician is always looking to the next five years to get reelected. But, but dealing with the climate requires you to think 10, 15, 20 years ahead. And it's taking difficult decisions. We've all got to take difficult decisions. And our politicians have got to put those difficult decisions to us and get um, the people to, uh, to agree with them and go with them. Uh, unfortunately, the the climate timescale and the political cycle are out of sync.
0: I couldn't agree more on that. And in fact, I'm, I'm going to give you a little anecdote. Greg's telling me that this is a good show. People are going to listen to this one. Greg, don't worry. The um, uh, the uh, first of all, I think it's very interesting what the royal family did in England, where they um, where they put out that award. I think fifty billion pounds or something like that. Um, That's right. Yes, a million. What a kingly thing to do, actually. That's what a king does. You know, it's like, how do we, how can we, the royal family, to, you know, <laughs> you could see them sitting around, well, uncle Harry, you know, what, what should I do as the prince? You know, what we can do son is, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, nephew is we could set up a fund and all our, all our people can, can participate in all the land. It's such a, it's such a royal thing to do that would never happen in, you know, like that way in anywhere else where I can think of, but maybe in Sweden or something like that as well. But. I was talking to my son the other day and we were talking about politicians and he's like, dad, why don't you be a politician? I said, I'm not a politician. That's not in my, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll develop those skills in 10 years. But I said, most politicians are simply trees swayed in the wind. So if the wind blows this way, they go this way. And I said, look, if you had a hundred thousand people protesting for white rights in the United States, they'd blow the other way. If they had, if you had Mm -hmm. enough people in a democracy, look at it in a democracy, the people get the leaders they deserve because democracy works. The problem is they get the, pe- the leaders they deserve. Okay. And we have these trees swaying in the wind. Somebody shouts, somebody screams, some Nigel Harvey gets arrested and everything changes. No, I'm just joking on that. But what, <laughs> the problem is that what you're saying about authoritarianism, or we, need, we need people of character. True, This is a crisis in leadership in the world. We need people of character. To move into the political world. And the problem is that people of character that are not egotistical narcissists, like a lot of people, I'm not gonna say any names, okay? Um, but we can um, name
2: one or two probably.
0: Yes, but I'm not gonna get into that because you know, like I look at policies, and there's policies I like by different leaders, and there's policies I don't like, and there's people I like and I don't like their policies, okay? So the liking of people and their policies are two different things, but you know the problem is that there's it's so nasty for people to go into the political world right now that it this it, it, people of character don't want to swim in that swamp and i think that's a huge issue in britain i think it's a, a i know it's an issue in canada like the kind of crap you got to put up with what whatever side of, if you're a person of character if you're bent to the left wing or you're bent to the right wing what, what you're going to get ripped through the coals like in a ridiculously a ridiculous way. I think that's what the discourse needs to change first before we can even get into solving problems, Nigel.
2: I think I think you're right. And, and it's been one of the greatest tragedies that we've had a combination of the climate crisis, which is going to really hit hard over the next decade or, or so, the COVID crisis that's happened this year, that have come at the same time as the rise of um nationalist populism and i think those three together are a horrendously toxic cocktail
0: i think it's going to get worse in the eu i think it's going to get i think that the 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 the, the um you're going to see the rise of 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 you know pro national parties in the eu significantly over the next 10 years i don't no chance Hungary.
2: I think Poland, the pig- without a diet. Mm.
0: Oh well, no, that's all. Hungary, Poland, those areas, we know they're going to do that. That could have been predicted, okay? Because they're they're still on the fence if they're in the west or the east yet. Um, and people, I mean, Polish people. Sorry if I said that, but you know, um, the pigeon in the uh, and the canary in the coal mine is Germany. We'll see what happens in Germany. If Germany starts to go uh, to step away from that leadership role in Europe, you're going to see problems. We've strayed, Greg is looking at me. We've strayed a little bit away from the mandate of the show. Just a little tiny touch.
1: Uh,
0: We'll have to get that beer at some point. Nigel Harvey, thanks for being a guest on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast.
2: Thank you very much, both of you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, us as well. Yeah.
0: Give me an S, give me an A, give me a T. Give me a C, give me an O, give me a dot, and then a com. and go to sacco.com Greg. That's how you get there.
1: Okay. Well, then you give me an exterior light fixture. You give me a recess can. You give me a wrap fixture. You give me a flat panel. You give me a, a can light. You give me, did I say that? You give me a high bay. You give me, what do, What do you need? A decorative fixture. A weird fluorescent it? tube. <laughs> <laughs> Some weird fluorescent tube. Do you need to know if, that, if this LED tube is compatible with this weird ballast? SACCO posted on their website so that you can see that. And what does that mean? That they have everything. If you need a light bulb, if you need anything lighting related, SACCO's got it.
0: They're busy doing the right thing. They're busy doing the light thing. You got to go to S-A-T. And fixtures. <laughs> track lighting. Got it. Name it. Give me an S. Give me an A. Give me a T. Give me a C. Give me an O. Give me a dot. And then throw a com on the end. And that's how you get there, folks. SACCO.com. Proud members. Of the National Association, yeah, our vendors are members too. They sit on our board. That's right. So go to SATCO.com, baby, that SATCO.com, light thing, right thing. And the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, where it all started. Give Bree a call at the Nail Office and join. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Like, come on. Stop being in noncompliance. If you're, not an, if you're a lighting distributor and you're not a Nailed member, you're in non-compliance right now. I'm writing you up. I'm writing you up
1: It fits well with that mustache you got You do look like a cop
0: Compliance officer?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm the lighting distributor You're getting written up son
0: We're not joining Nailed And of course Nigel, what a wonderful time we had with you man Super fun, great time man It was so much fun to hear all the stories And and talk a little bit about lamp recycling And a little bit about marketplaces And then you're just balling on that craziness Over there getting into that Extinction Rebellion Good luck with that I, I respect you for it, but um, most of all, I respect my colleagues that enjoy this show. Love you guys. This is from Greg and I. Thanks for listening. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. If you are lost, the Lord is there to find you.